Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you grab them now? We'll be in 2 Corinthians. Our text today, and this is going to surprise you, but it is only one verse of the Bible, 2 Corinthians 4.15. And I joke, but one day I'm going to come and I'm going to preach five chapters just to keep it mixed up for you. So chapter 4 and verse 15. For the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on gratitude, on thanksgiving, um, and I think it'll be good for our souls. This is as we get ready to do Advent and as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week. So 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15 says this, for it is all for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Let's pray again. Father, we, uh, I pray that you would use this time in two different ways in our hearts. I, I pray that this time would be like a, like a kindling and like a fire extinguisher. A kindling of the fire of praise in our hearts to you. That you'd stoke that fire and it would burn bright as we enter this week and as we live as Christians who are thankful for your grace to us. And I pray that it would extinguish, that you'd use it, Father, to help extinguish grumbling in our hearts. We're so prone to that. We're so prone to complain. Lord, I pray that we, you would change our focus and help us to see you as you really are. And glory in your grace that you have demonstrated to us, especially the grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. I pray for the sufferers in this room, and I know there are several. Pray that you would today, Lord, encourage them. Encourage them to see in their suffering a straight line to your grace and to your glory. I pray that you'd help me to handle your word well, to encourage your people. And that these words, the, 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 this sermon that we hear, will speak to us as, the, as you speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1944, a Dutch watchmaker named Corrie ten Boom and her older sister Betsy prayed together and gave thanks to God for the many things that they were experiencing in their lives. They were intentional, they wanted to be intentional about applying 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. They took this seriously, so they prayed and they listed to God the things for which they were thankful. They lived in Barrack 28 in a camp called Ravensbrück. It was a Nazi concentration camp for women north of Berlin. They had been arrested and sent there for hiding Jews in Holland, in the Netherlands, rather. The, the, the conditions at the camp were brutal, were, were brutal. Famine, diseases, harsh labor, abuse, arbitrary executions. It was all par for the course every day at Ravensbrück. And the hygiene was, the hygiene in this barrack, barrack 28, was horrendous. Particularly noticeable was an infestation of fleas. You, you could hardly have a moment without being swarmed by these tiny, biting fleas. 
Can you imagine living in a place like this? I don't know if you've ever been swarmed by fleas, but it's a, it's a terrible experience. And could you imagine living day in and day out in a place like that? So these two women, both strong Christians, were sitting close together and giving thanks to God, just going through the list of things, much, much the way I hope many of you will do this coming Thursday. They prayed, Lord, something like this, thank you, God, for that we can be in such a barrack with so many other women who are in such close proximity who now get to hear the gospel because of us. Thank you, God, that for the Bible that was smuggled into us. Thank you that we can still read your word. Thank you for the few other Christians who are imprisoned here, that even, even here we have Christian fellowship. Thank you that two of us sisters are still together, and on they prayed. In that prayer, Betsy prayed this, and thank you, Lord, for the fleas. Corey Ten Boom was taken back, and she said, really, Betsy? I mean, you're, you're really going to give thanks, after the prayer, you're, you're really going to give thanks to God for the fleas that we're enduring? And Betsy responded, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, not give thanks in pleasant circumstances. So Betsy gave thanks for the fleas, and Corey thought she was wrong to do so. Betsy began calling Christians together and having a secret kind of church meeting every week together with them, church services, as you will. They, they would comfort one another around the Word of God, and they would pray, and they would worship. They would even sing quietly. They did this all in Barrack 28, and it was, it was completely illegal. If the guards had discovered them, who knows? They might have been taken outside and shot right there. That, was, that happened a lot. But strangely, no guard ever caught them. No guard ever even came into Barrack 28. So they had freedom to worship and pray and read the Bible. One day they found out why. One day they found out why no guard would ever come. One day a guard was summoned there for some reason. But instead of going inside, the guard just stood outside and she said, I'm not going in there. That place is crawling with fleas. The fleas. These, they, they were a dreadful nuisance for sure, but God sent them so that Christians could have un, uninterrupted fellowship in that place, which they needed more. They needed that fellowship more than they needed comfort. Betsy was right to give thanks for the fleas, even though she had no idea at that moment why God had allowed them. It's an amazing story. I actually got it just to give attribution I, I, I read that this week uh, in an article written in 2019 by Christine Hoover. You can find that on the Gospel Coalition website if you'd like. But it's an amazing story, and it's true. But it's not unlike what we see in 2 Corinthians 4.15. If you're a good Bible student, you, you, be, you ask questions of the text. When I, when I start studying a verse of the Bible like this, I start asking questions. And the first question that came to my mind as I was studying this passage is, what does the it in that verse refer to? What does, what's the antecedent of it? The it in for it is all for your sake. Well, that refers to the suffering that Paul endured in ministry. That's the context here. A few verses before, Paul wrote, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, 
struck down but not destroyed. Paul had suffered greatly to see the gospel go out, and he rightly saw it as good because it was God at work accomplishing his purpose. And so it says in verse 15, this suffering is all for your sake. It is interesting to me that he says, for your sake, because if you follow this logic out, the logic of verse 15 out, it seems to be for the sake of the glory of God. Verse 15 seems to be drawing a line from suffering to God's glory. And we see that line drawn many places in the New Testament, but I wonder what is the sense in which it is for their sake or for our sake that's the question I hope to answer for you this morning. Let's, let's think about the points of this passage, this verse, like a baseball diamond. First base is suffering. That's the it beginning in the, that begins this verse. For it is for your sakes. Home base is God's glory. And between suffering and glory, there are two other bases. God's grace is second base. And thanksgiving is the third base. So the runner goes from suffering to grace to gratitude to glory. That's the field we're studying today, baseball field. And it's awesome and helpful. And my prayer for us as we run these bases together, it will help shape the way we do Thanksgiving this year. Shape the way our hearts respond to suffering and to God's grace to us in Christ. So that we would run to home base and glorify God as we'll see together, it is all for the glory of God. So let's run these bases together, shall we? The first base is suffering. And specifically, the suffering that Paul endured so that the gospel would go out. He describes his suffering in detail in a few different places. I don't feel like we need to spend a lot of time thinking through it. But he did live a hard life. He lived a hard life full of oppression, full of persecution, full of deprivation. He was often mistreated. And he ended up spending a lot of time in prison for the gospel. Paul suffered to see the gospel go forth. The fact of the matter is that it is no easy task to live missionally in this world. It never has been. And friends, it never will be. It never will be. Living, living gospelly, I, I feel perfect freedom to make up words uh, that I feel will be useful. Living gospelly, living as faithful Christians who love the gospel and our obedience to the Great Commission, it requires suffering. Of course, it isn't the same for everyone. There are varying levels, varying levels of suffering, depending on one's circumstances, depending on the will of God for you. We should not think suffering out of place for the Christian, though. We should expect difficulties in this life. And you know, I know that's out of step with the message of a lot of popular preaching today, especially preaching in America in our affluent culture, there has emerged a theology of prosperity, which says that if you're a Christian and you have faith, then your life will be really easy and really comfortable. According to this theology, the abundant Christian life doesn't include things like sickness and poverty or oppression or hardships. It doesn't include things like fleas. If you're a faithful Christian, you should expect to live in comfort and have money and be healthy and be prosperous. But that message is woefully out of step with both the experience of Paul and the experience of most of Christians throughout all of church history. And it's out of step with what the Bible teaches. 
Jesus promised suffering to his disciples. I mean, feel that. Jesus promised suffering to his disciples. If you want to dwell on the promises of God, perhaps you shouldn't skip that one. He said, they will hate you because they hated me. They will kill some of you for my name's sake, Jesus said. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The abundant Christian life isn't a life that's free from suffering. It's one that is full of suffering. The, the normal everyday kind of suffering, because we live in a broken world, Christians, Christians get cancer too. And then the, the special suffering precisely because we're Christians, as the witness of the church throughout history has testified. Therefore, the abundant Christian life isn't a life that's free from suffering. The, the abundance is in the reality that God is all satisfying no matter the circumstances we face and that temporary suffering is nothing compared to the eternal glory that is to be revealed in us. That's the abundant Christian life. It is finding in Barak 28 that God is everything we need and more. He is all satisfying. And it is realizing in the very first nanosecond of glory that all of our suffering in this life is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is yet to be revealed in us. So suffering was a present reality for Paul, as it will be, friends, for you sooner or later if you follow Christ. Some of, it, some of you know this from your experience. Living gospelly requires it. Living so that God's grace is extended to others is a hard life. But it is also really sweet because the first base leads to home plate, God's glory. So now let's think about the next two bases, grace and thanksgiving. Paul saw his suffering as worth it in part because his suffering led to grace being extended to more and more people and with it, with grace, thanksgiving to God is increased. So how does grace extend increased thanksgiving? One thing you can't see in your English translations is that there is a play on words in this verse in the Greek. The Greek word for grace is charis. And the Greek word for thanksgiving is eucharistan. You can hear the word charis in that, can't you? And I, the reason I'm bringing that out is because I think Paul did that on purpose so that you can see a relationship between grace and thanksgiving. And I hadn't thought of this before, but I, I read a commentary that, that brought this out. You can actually do that in English too with the word grace and the word gratitude for they both come from the Latin word gratis. There's a connection between these two. I think Paul wants us to see that connection between grace and thanksgiving. What is that connection? What is it about grace that ought to make our hearts explode with gratitude? Let me try to show this to you, this connection between grace and thanksgiving, by thinking through a couple of ways that you can avoid homelessness by receiving $100,000. All right? That's a lot of money, $100,000. Let's imagine that you owed a person $100,000 on your house, and the note is due on Friday, or you lose your home. And in our made-up scenario, just play with me here, there's no plan B. 
You lose this home, you become homeless. You and yours, your family become homeless. It's a big deal. And you need $100,000 by Friday. There are a couple of different ways you could receive that money. And they would do a couple of different things in your heart. One way you could receive $100,000 is to work for it. That's a really good way. I am for that way. Let's say that you have a job that pays $10 an hour mopping floors. You only need to mop floors for 10,000 hours to earn that money by Friday. Probably do that in a week. If it were possible to pay that way by Friday, your heart would not necessarily gush with gratitude, would it? Hired. (laughs) But the point is, no one has shown you kindness. If you worked for it, no one has shown you kindness. You worked those 10,000 hours. This is on you. You're not feeling gratitude towards anyone. More likely, your heart would burst with pride. You earned this. You did it. You're entitled to it. Of course, the reality is there are not 10,000 hours in a week. So you can't pay it this way. If you think you can, you're living in a fantasy land, working off this massive debt yourself. By Friday, it's not an option. And the note on your house is due on Friday. If you don't pay up, you'll lose everything. You and your family, out on your heads, homeless. Friday is coming this week. You're really feeling the pressure. Now, imagine that the one who owns the note, the one who owns the the debt that you owe, $100,000, for reasons in himself, feels compassion upon you. And at the 11th hour, Friday afternoon, after it was completely clear that you have no means to pay yourself, pay this yourself, and that you should rightfully be evicted, the owner of the note, at a very real cost to himself, a very real cost to himself, absorbs the debt. He pays it with his own funds. And he writes you a letter. And he says, Dear Mike, you don't deserve this. You haven't earned it. Indeed, it is clear that you cannot earn it. You should know that this is costing me significantly, but solely because of my compassion for you, because of reasons in myself, I have paid your debt, all $100,000 of it. So, Mike, the debt is paid in full. You're not homeless. You own the house, and it's free and clear. What would that do in your heart? That's the line between grace and gratitude. Grace galvanizes gratitude. Gratitude explodes when the grace of God is experienced and understood. I think that's exactly how it works. Paul suffered so that people everywhere would see that they owed a debt that they had no means. They had no means of paying on their own. We all, because of our sin, have a massive note against us. You know what that note is? Romans 6.23 says it's death. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's really bad news because we're sinful. And that note is due. It is the 11th hour. God is just. He will account for all sin. This is a debt that will be paid. But God. Do you love those words? But God, for reasons in himself, had compassion on us. He, he loves us and showed us grace by absorbing the debt in himself. At significant cost in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He has paid our sin debt for us. 
My friends, if your faith is in genuinely in Jesus Christ today, I am happy to report to you that your debt is paid. You are free and clear. You own the house. And that is only because of God's grace to you in Christ. Do you believe that today? Is your confidence in Jesus alone? Are you trusting in him alone? Oh, I pray that it is. And if it is not, I want to persuade you to believe so that this grace is extended to you. You cannot work your way through this. You absolutely need God's grace. And at that point in this verse, if you've experienced God's grace extended to you, your heart should explode with gratitude because that is what grace does. All right, so we have seen that Paul suffered so that grace could be extended more and more. And so that gratitude might increase. Now we need to run to home base and think about the connection between gratitude and the glory of God. That's the ultimate aim for Paul in this suffering, right? You can see that here. It is home base for him, the glory of God. So let's run home. How does thanksgiving glorify God? There's some specific language used in the Psalms that have helped me through the years in my understanding of the connection between thanksgiving and God's glory or gratitude and God's glory. Psalm 69.30, it says this, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Just think with me for a moment about this language. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. You know, to many, I think maybe perhaps to most in this world, God appears distant and small and irrelevant. That's how most of our world, certainly most of our culture, sees God. But he isn't small or distant or irrelevant. He just seems that way to people because they can't see him with their natural eyes that well. I, 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 uh, let me try to illustrate this for you. I, I enjoy observing nature. Um, I really do. Some of you do too, especially in the fall. I like especially watching deer this time of year. They're just great to watch. Uh, they're great to just look at and, you know. At a distance, though, my eyes aren't what they used to be. I sometimes cannot tell which deer are big and which ones are small. In fact, I was hunting not long ago, and, uh, and I, won't, I don't remember which child I was with, but one of my kids who is here today uh, was with me, and I, I pointed to a deer on the hill, and I said, look at the size of the body on that one. And he said to me, um, pretty sure that's a cow, Dad. <laughs> I can't tell which ones are big and which ones are small from a distance. So when I, when I watch the deer, you know what I do? I carry binoculars. I have nice binos, and I can take them out in the field. I can put, my, put them to my eyes, and through them, I can see what that deer really looks like and how big it is, because big, big deer are funner to watch. <laughs> the binos don't make the deer bigger, though. That's not what they do. It's not what binos do. They don't make the deer bigger. He is the size that he is. They just make the deer look like it more like it really is. You following? Thanksgiving by God's people is like binos. God seems small and irrelevant and uninvolved to everyone around us. But in the gratitude of his people, God is seen more like he really is. 
close and powerful and involved and loving and gracious and saving and massively relevant to every sphere of our lives. Grumbling and complaining, on the other hand, does the exact opposite. It's like looking through your binos backwards at God. You ever looked at, look through binoculars backwards? Complaining makes God look further away, makes God look tiny and small, like he's unconcerned or weak or unloving or unjust or absent. Complaining says that God doesn't really care about my needs. He isn't coming through for me. He isn't able to meet my needs. He isn't able to satisfy my heart. I need more than God because God is tiny to me. But grumbling does. But thanksgiving, gratitude, that glorifies God. That magnifies God. When we see a soul satisfied in God, we see a glimpse of our all-satisfying God. We say things like, thank you for the fleas. Because they remind me that you, you God, are better than my comfort. And they show me that sometimes you allow hard things to do wonderful things in our lives. You are awesome and near and glorious and wonderful. I mean, does that not display God's glory? Does that not glorify God? So let me ask you, friends, do you, which way are you holding the binos? Do you magnify God before others in your suffering and hardships? Or do you make him look tiny and distant? Are you thankful or are you a grumbler? All right, so we've run the bases. We have one more question, though, about this text that we need to answer this morning. Paul said that his suffering is for their sake or for our sake, if you will. But the ultimate aim of his suffering, according to the logic of how this verse works, is God's glory, right? We've seen that. Paul suffered God's grace was extended to more and more people. Gratitude increased. God is glorified. So how then is it for their sake? This is for your sake, he says. My suffering is for your sake. But isn't it for God's sake? Let me, let me give you three possible ways to solve this. First, maybe it's for their sake because grace extended is really good news for us. Our debt's paid in full. We're free. We're clear. Does that not make you happy before the Lord? Is it in that sense that it's for your sake? Or maybe reason number two. Perhaps it's for our sake because grace galvanizes gratitude. And a thankful heart is a happy heart. You know that to be true, right? Gratitude and joy, they go hand in hand. If you're thankful, you're happy. I mean, can you imagine any scenario where that doesn't work that way? A thankful child is a happy child? Always. It always works that way. If, if your heart is racked with anxiety, as we'll see especially next week, likely there is no thankfulness in your heart. I've never heard anyone tell me, I'm, 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 I'm really struggling and really anxious right now, and also I am so bubbly with thanksgiving to God. I think the human heart has the capacity for one or the other, but not both at the same time. 
Grumbling and discontentedness are the rottenness that comes to our souls and that kill our joy. But thanksgiving, thanksgiving is fresh and bright and happy. So maybe that's the sense in which it's for our sake. Or, here's our third possibility, maybe it is all for our sake because God's glory, because God's glory is our greatest good. Getting to home base is our highest aim in this game. God is so good, right? Just saying that, God is so good, so big and so strong. There's nothing our God cannot do. God is so good that when we perceive him as he really is, that perception is our greatest good. You know, friends, that is why heaven will be so wonderful. Heaven is not wonderful merely because we will finally be pain-free or stress-free, or even because there will be, we'll be reunited with lost loved ones, or because we get some fresh start. One of the big reasons I'm so unhappy with the uh, genre of books called heaven tourism, you know, where somebody had a near-death experience and supposedly went to heaven, saw what it was like, and came back so they can be able to tell us. One of the reasons I don't like those books, generally speaking, is because most of them have nothing to do with God, Christ. You know, they see an uncle or they, they, they don't feel the pain that they felt. All of those side benefits of heaven. Heaven is wonderful ultimately because we will be with our creator, our savior. We will behold the glory of God forever. That's why heaven is heaven. And without that, it's not heaven. Hell without God. So which of these three should we go with? In what sense is it for our sake? I, I think it's a, it's a triple play. And I live on triple play avenues, so I like this metaphor a lot. We should be triply thankful this Thanksgiving because it is all of them at once. Our debt, friends, has been paid in Christ. We have huge reasons to be happy, huge reasons to be thankful, and thanksgiving is joy. It's happiness to us. If you're struggling with joy or with anxiety this morning, why don't you meditate on God's grace to you for a while? Think of all you have in Christ, all that he has done for you. If you are discouraged, why don't you ponder what God has done for you, how he loves you, how he holds you, how he will never forsake you? What he has secured for you, let thanksgiving restore joy in your heart. A thankful heart is a happy heart. And God's glory is our greatest good. When we see him for who he is, we are blessed. It is the greatest home run ever. Just to keep using baseball metaphors. We see his grace. We see his love. We see his holiness. There could be nothing better or more beautiful to behold than God. It is the very de definition of eternal life. We behold his glory forever. Not forever. Nothing can be better for us. So, Paul suffered. And it was okay. It was okay that Paul suffered because it meant grace extended to more and more people. And that meant gratitude exploding in the hearts of more and more people. And that meant that God was glorified Three, massively good things for us. And friends, we should be thankful, triply so. Ponder these things as you prepare your heart for Thanksgiving this Thursday. 
so that you give thanks in every circumstance, so that your heart is happy, so happy indeed that you can thank God even for the fleas. I know things aren't easy for many of you. I know it's, it's not difficult for you to find things to complain about. I get it. This life is hard. Relationships, relationships are hard. Parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. Growing old is hard. Grief is hard. Living gospelly is hard. That is exactly why you need verses like 2 Corinthians 4.15. So that we can put all those things into perspective and hold those binos up to our eyes and up to the eyes of those around us so that we might see God as he really is. May God do that work in your heart for your sake and for our sake, for your gratitude and for your joy and for his glory, which is your greatest good and my greatest good. Maybe on Thanksgiving Day, it would be good to pull out your Bible. Pull out your binos, right? Your Bible. And remind yourself of these truths and remind one another. Men, and here's a little challenge for you men here today. Fathers and grandfathers, wouldn't it be so good on Thanksgiving Day for you to do that for your family? To hold those binos up to the eyes of your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, so that they might see God and have Thanksgiving and that God might be glorified. Wouldn't that be so good for you and your family on Thanksgiving Day? And wouldn't that be so good for you today? And every day. Let's pray. Our situation, Father, is that we are often very nearsighted. Seeing and perceiving only the hardships and only the things around us that we do not like. Oh, Father, I pray that you would magnify in our hearts a vision of your glory, a vision of your grace, a vision of your goodness, a display of you so that we might be thankful, that our hearts might explode with gratitude to you for your grace, and so that you might be glorified in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.